with me Craig Barton. Now this is yet another conference takeaway podcast. This time we are coming at you live from the end of Maths Conference 15, 15, (laughs) uh, which has been held in Manchester, back in Lancashire, back in the northwest where where it should be, uh, but for the first time here. And I am joined by not one, but two co-hosts, but one's only staying for a little bit. I'm joined by my usual co-host, Joe Morgan. Hello, Joe. Hi, Craig. And I'm also joined, very special guest, the head of mathematics at AQA, Andrew Taylor. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Craig. Now, this podcast has been very kindly sponsored by AQA, and Andrew is here to tell us all about one of my all-time favourite qualifications, the Level 2 Certificate in Further Mathematics, which is undergoing a bit of a makeover. So, Andrew, you did a session on this at today's maths conference. What did you talk about? So, uh... It was it was a, a good session because <laughs> if I you think, say so yourself, I, no, I say so myself, <laughs> and I shouldn't, uh, because most of the teachers there were familiar with the current further math certificate, so it was really getting into the nitty gritty of what's changed and, and what hasn't. And I guess unlike GCSEs and A levels, this is uh, a development that's been very much in our control, and it's very much evolution rather than revolution. So we've looked at the new GCSE, we've looked at the new A level, and made sure that further math still fits in that space between the two. So uh, we've looked at where there's new GCSE content. So I talked about the new content to GCSE that therefore makes sense to come into the further maths qualification. Things like composite functions, inverse functions, that kind of stuff. Uh, And then uh, I looked at some of the changes we'd made to the further maths certificate. We're keeping the same main content areas, that's, that's, that's staying. It's still very much about pure mathematics. It's very much about serious algebra and yeah. a bit of calculus preparing students for uh, A-level study. So calculus is staying, bit of differentiation. Cal- bit of differentiation and a bit more differentiation. Okay. So, so I think a lot of teachers use the, sec- the idea of the second derivative for maximum and minima, yes. even though it wasn't on the spec. So we've put it on the spec. Nice. Uh, and we've also, uh, introduced some kind of yeah simple problems around differentiation kind of okay. optimization of area volume problems those those okay. kind of things coming nice. in uh, and the idea of increasing and decreasing functions has come in tell me matrices is still on there matrices is still on there <laughs> That's what and, I like to and, hear. and that matrices content is completely unchanged fantastic uh, the algebra content we've uh, extended a couple of things so uh, beyond just expanding sort of two brackets to three brackets we're going into expanding a plus b to the power n oh uh and flipping how big zen get in there well small enough to be able to do it by by pascal's triangle right. so okay, that's cool. the yep. that's the approach we're ex- nice. expecting there so so we're not i mean some students will be taught ncr and they'll be taught the whole yeah, binomial yeah, theorem yeah. and the whole shooting match but that's not the <laughs> expectation and, and the questions will be geared to that and we've also extended simultaneous equations into three unknowns, but only linear simultaneous Got equations it. with three unknowns. Let, let me ask you a question, Andrew. So I'm going to be open and honest here. So you know I love the level two certificate uh, of further maths. I'm not being paid to say that. I'm a huge, huge fan of it. But we actually, um, we've been doing it since the first year it started, but we stopped it when the new GCSE came along. because we wanted to, just to get a sense of how demanding this new GCSE was. Why should somebody like me take this back up again? Well. 
I think it, it was interesting because again at the session today quite a few teachers were in that same position yeah. they taught it they were wanting to focus on the new GCSE yeah. now a couple of years in they, they, they wanted to go back and the reason they wanted to go back one of them said uh, we had I don't know what it was 15 20 students do it this year they all got grade nines in the GCSE and that was because of the extra study and the real focus yeah, they got nice. From, uh, from the further math certificate. And those students, and, and many A-level teachers have told us this, are gonna be much much more ready to hit the ground running uh, when they start the A-level, particularly. Different, it's yeah. a different kettle of fish. Whenever they start year 12, they're, they're ready to roll. They've, they've yeah. done the tricky algebra, their coordinate geometry skills are just amazing, and they've seen a bit of differentiation. So perfect. And the other thing, Andrew, before you, you head off, is now I get this wrong, Maths is Beautiful. Is That's that the name right. of the campaign? That's the campaign, yeah. Fantastic. Tell us a bit about that, and then, then Joe's going to share a bit of beautiful maths herself. So, I think maths is beautiful. It seemed, as I said this morning uh, at the start of the conference, it seems a strange time to do that when we're all focusing on exams. I mean, we're, of course, massively focusing on the exams, and so are teachers. But it, and yet it seemed the right time to just remind us all of what, what we're in the game for. That it, it, And part of that is about about the subject that we love and, and what is it that we love about it. So the campaign has featured uh, some of the great formulae, some of the great, yeah, Euler's identity. That's, yeah, yeah, somebody tweeted, you know, how se what a sexy formula that is. <laughs> uh, but it's not just that. I, I, I mean, I find beauty in mathematics in a whole range of things and, and in our, our further maths. But I put up an example today where the question itself is just simplifying an algebraic fraction. Ooh. But the first time a kid does that and works it through yeah, and finds those yeah. common facts and gets that neat solution, you know, sort of getting that order from something that looks a bit chaotic in the middle. Absolutely. That's just beautiful. Love that. Absolutely. Well, Joe, you've stumbled across a bit of beautiful maths yourself today, have you not? Uh, lots of beautiful maths. Um, loads of it in Simon Singh's session. Um, but the thing I wanted to talk about um, was from... Um, Philip Legner's session on mathematical storytelling. This is the guy who writes uh, the website Mathagon. And he talked about, I don't know how to say this, we think it's cicadas, and I apologise if I got that wrong. Hey, Andrew, as a pub quiz expert, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the name <laughs> of a... Like, I think, I, think I go for cicadas. Cicadas, okay, okay. we go that. Right, Let's cicadas. go cicadas. My Spanish isn't working. Uh, <laughs> so these are insects that, um, there's one sort of breed, or whatever you call yep. it, one, one group of them that appears every 13 years. So they're all born every 13 years. And there's another group of them that are born every 17 years. And it's lovely because they're both prime numbers. And if you sort of look back at, or think about why they would appear in prime number years, um, it's to do with um, avoiding predators. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting that obviously they're trying to, if the predators are sort of uh, uh, born in certain years, then if, if the cicadas, cicadas are born every uh, 13 years or every 17 years, then there's there's less chance they'll be born at the same time as the predators. So they're yeah. kind of, they're trying, it's the, it's the survival, isn't it? And it's, it's just evolution over time. Um, there's been lots of uh, sort of, the, uh, it used to be that they were born every 10 years and they were all dying. And then over time, the ones that were born every 13 years were the ones that survived. Because it's minimising the size of the, no, maximising the lowest common multiple. Yeah. Yes, that's the it, prime yeah. yeah. Which is just absolutely incredible. It's fascinating and th that these things just happen in, it happens happens in, in real life because because it, it makes so much sense and that, that is right. maths being beautiful it's incredible. and fascinating. Yeah. Well before we say bye to you uh, Andrew and then slag off the level two certificate <laughs> for the maths. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to say and this is uh, Anton my colleague he's restarting the level two certificate in further maths and the point he made I wonder if you agree with this 
even if you don't do the qualification, which you definitely should, um, if you're just doing normal GCSE, it's a wonderful source of challenging, rich mm. questions that are suitable for because there's so much overlap, right? And you get some beautiful ratio and CERD and algebra questions. Abs absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's some fab questions there. And I think, I mean, for me to claim that a qualification is going to make anybody sharper at anything is, is nonsense. Mm. It's the work that teachers do towards sure. that qualification. And what the qualification does in the case of further maths, it provides that, I don't, I don't know whether it, it, it provides that motivation or the, you know, the, the, the target at the end just focuses students to do that work and to put in that very often extra time at lunch times and at the start of school and so on. But, but yeah, there's, there's, there's now six, seven years worth of, of fab questions there Fantastic. for GCSE teachers. Fantastic. Well, Andrew Taylor, thank you so much for Our joining pleasure us. pleasure as always, Craig. And um, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Okay. See you guys. Bye. Right, we hate AQA, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> right, so you just left with me and Joe now. Uh, so, um, Joe, uh, you were speaking session one, right? And you were on the main stage. I was on the main stage. I was the female on the main stage. Female on the main stage. <laughs> Joe's got a bit of a thing of making sure there's female representation. Well, on the main I, you know, mass uh, mass teaching is dominated by females. Education in general is dominated by females. And I noticed um, early on uh, when uh, people started to sign up to sessions for this conference, very few women had put their names down to speak. So I kind of tweeted to say, "Come on, let's have some yeah, more female yeah, speakers." Yeah, yeah. And then, thankfully, there, there were more in the end. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of. Uh, um, I feel that's an achievement for to be for me to be on the main stage today. I was pleased with that. Um, so yeah, I was, and I was really pleased with how my session went um, because uh, I think it's taken me a little while to sell my idea to people. Yeah, well, you'd sell us the dream here. So um, I realised that. Um, teachers don't get time to look at any to, to research any topic properly before they teach it because we have you know six minutes to plan a lesson and it's, everything's a rush and um and i felt that everything i teach i teach at a very surface level so it's always very superficial teaching i don't go into depth on anything and i realized that teachers benefit from actually taking time to look at individual topics because a couple of years ago everything i was going to at maths conferences was very high level you know sessions on problem solving yes, sessions on yes. creativity and i wasn't going to any maths conference sessions that were just about a particular topic because people feel that they shouldn't they can't waste a whole hour on one sure. topic but we really should waste an hour on a topic because um, it really makes a difference so the idea is that i've made some i wanted to cover every uh, topic in maths and so far <laughs> i've been working this a year and i've done five so um because it takes me months to write these sessions um, but the idea is that I did the session today and I'll share it and then people can go back to their schools and when their team is about to teach indices they can use my indices presentation to do CPD with their team and then everyone will be teaching indices better as a result hopefully because they'll have done I've done the research for them and I've put it all into a nice PowerPoint which explains you know this is everything we should be sharing with our students these are the really good resources these are the misconceptions and that kind of stuff I mean is it possible to so I wasn't I wasn't in the session and for listeners who weren't what would be a couple of things that they a couple of highlights, a couple of bits of gold from um, the session that, that you'd recommend. One thing was about vocabulary, and this is something I've only just realised. Um, I think uh, we're getting it all wrong. Everyone in this country is saying things wrong. Oh. The If you look at two to the power of four, for a start, that's, a, that's not a helpful way of saying it, because the whole thing is a power. So two to the power of four is the fourth power of two. The whole thing is a power. That little number oh. should not be referred to as a power, but we all do it. Two to the power of four. The four is an index or an exponent. It's oh, not a power. Right. The whole thing's a power. Oh. 
Yeah. So we, Jeez, and we, okay. so we, but it's not just that we're getting it wrong now. We've been getting it wrong since I think the early 1900s. So we've got Flipping like about 100 okay, years. This is embedded because in, if you yeah. look, if you look back in um, Victorian uh, textbooks, they don't call that little number a power. They call it an index or an exponent, ah. um, and they call the whole thing a power. So that whole term, two to the power four, is the power, the fourth power of two. Oh, right. And like, like if it was two to the power one, is that like a? Is so that that's a power? the power, yeah. So the powers of two are two to power zero, two to power right. one, two to power. They're, they're the powers of two. But the little number. The little number is an index or an exponent. In the in, in in the states, they think it's weird we call it an index because they use the word index for other things. Right. Um. We sometimes call it an exponent. We talk about exponential growth and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah, tend yeah. to use index. But I have many times um, put a slide on the board where I've put 2 to the power 4 and I've put a little label going to the 4 and I've said this thing is called the power, the index or the exponent yeah, and it's I've not a power too. I've done that right <laughs> and, okay so we're so, getting that wrong yeah, yeah. but, but it's, I don't think it's the end of the world I'm not suggesting we should all stop doing that but it's just you know when you actually do some research yeah. and that's the thing I've never researched it before um, luckily this really nice guy on Twitter has, is gone, has gone and done loads more research on it and he's got a blog post coming out soon on exactly this and all the history and he's really looked into it just so of powers on that, on the, this this use the wrong use of the word power ooh. there. So that's coming out soon, and okay. I'll share that because yeah, I'm yeah, excited yeah, yeah. that he's kind of backing up what I've said I like there. It. I like um, that. So that was one thing, and then I talked about um, the way we introduce first of all index notation. Now they see it for the first time in year five when they first see squares and cubes, okay. and that's all they see in primary school. And then index notation normally in year seven when we're introducing algebra and we're saying that we've got a times a. How should we write that? And then um, and then index laws normally kind of done in year eight or year nine so I did a whole thing on index notation where I talked about ways of explicitly teaching that and teaching it in detail rather than just kind of skipping over it as like oh this is really straightforward it's just a better way of writing things so I, I talked about that and then I talked about teaching index laws and how when I applied for my job at the current school I'm at so four years ago my job interview was teaching index laws of top set year eight. Right. And I was really happy because what a great topic to get for yeah, an interview. Yeah, nice, okay. Um, so, and, and I went along and taught um, all three index laws um, in a standard lesson. So we're talking the kind of multiplication, multiplication division, division and power and law. And power yeah. Law, yeah. And, and I think I also got to um, the index, I'm going to not say zero power because it's not the index yeah. of zero. I also got to that in the lesson. So I did quite a lot in one lesson there. Nice. But it seemed like very normal. Um, and now in hindsight, I'm like, I cannot believe yeah, I did an entire so topic much. in a lesson because there was no depth at all. Um, so I talked about how terrible that lesson was and about how now I've done the research how I would teach those things properly and I would spend say three lessons or maybe more on the multiplication law and I talked about what we put in those lessons mm. because when you say to someone I want you to spend a long time on this very specific thing people get a bit scared so yeah, they get everyone to get bored but when you actually spend time looking at what we can put in so I showed some examples and non-examples and I showed sort of um, types of questions that we just don't use that we should what, use what would be a non-example because I love an example and a non-example what kind of things were you sharing there so for, I mean, for index laws, there's just, you know, if we say that the rule is, let's say the multiplication law, yep. we say the rule is if the bases are the same and we're multiplying the two terms, then we just add the indices. Yep. So, of course, you can you can show examples where um, the bases aren't the same because uh, algebraically they're different, numerically they're different, or we're not multiplying. And then we sort of, sort of change, there were some interesting examples there. We have, say, PQ squared times Q to the power of three. Now, the P, bases... Say that one more time. So, PQ squared, that's the first term, P Q squared, squared, got it, yep. Times Q to the power of three. Yep. Now the bases aren't the same, kind of. Ah, the qubit has bases the same. Yeah, so so nice. if you're saying the rule is if the bases are the same, add the indices, yeah. you're kind of saying, oh, you can't use that law yeah. there, but you can use and this, it. And this is the, this, I mean, this will link into what I want to talk about in my session, but this is the problem with rules, right? When yeah. you're trying to explain rules in words, yeah. 
it just doesn't work at all unless yeah. kids see things that work and don't work and crucially things that are on the boundary of working and yeah. not working they just don't yeah. get it yeah no, that's and nice. I think there are things like you know we do index laws where we say um a to the power of five times a to the power of three and they add the indices straightforward yep. but I don't think we do enough um two to the power of x times two to the power of three x and then they yeah. get two to the power of four x and we yes. and there's all these things that are kind of missed I showed lots of examples of old textbooks from the 50s and from Victorian times and I showed that for example in the in the 50s where we had a hundred questions yep. we now have six questions like this kind yes, of massive yes. change in the amount of fluency uh, practice that our students are doing. So I showed lots of old textbook stuff. I showed how things were explained in Victorian times. I showed how things they practiced things then. And um, I talked about how the misconceptions are identical. So you know how students confuse um, two cubed and three times two. So they'll say two cubed is six. Yes. And they'll also sometimes say a times a is two a. Yes. So they're confusing an index and a coefficient there that they're mixing yes, them up yes in Victorian textbooks in the 1880s they said this is a common misconception nice, and it's nice. so we shouldn't Still beat that. ourselves up because yeah, the fact yeah, is yeah, it's, yeah. it's conceptually tricky because yes. people have always struggled with it so anyway I did loads of old textbook stuff and I did loads of I showed some resources um, and I'll, I'll share it all on my blog if people that want to use good. it just so Four to the power of two x. Can I? Is that? Can I not say that anymore? What am I supposed to be saying? You is can that wrong? say it. No, because that's that's the other thing is we all say that differently. So I did some research on Twitter this week where some people would say, so say we were looking at um, um, five to the power of three. No, yeah. no, not three. That's because we say cubed. Let's say five to the power of eight. I'd say five to the power of eight. Some people would say five to the eight. Yeah. Some people say five to the power eight without the yeah, of. Some yeah. people say five to the eighth. Yeah. Um, and there's all these different ways of saying it, but what we, what I don't like about the way I say it, I'm not going to change the way I say it. Yep. I say five to the power of eight, and it's suggesting the eight's a power. Yeah, exactly. When it's not, yeah. it's the eighth power of five. What's the safe way to say it? There, there, how, there, how do you avoid putting power in there? Because the thing is, ideally you'd say five to the eighth, but then someone on Twitter pointed out that if you had five to the power of x we're going to say five to the yeah, x because yeah, yeah, x yeah, yeah. is not something we say which is which is why I think we might have changed the way we say it right. in Victorian times they said five to the, uh, the uh, five to the eighth and then maybe they realised that it's ridiculous when you've got a letter up there yeah, or a fraction right yes or a fraction yes Whoa. oh yeah it's massively confusing the whole thing is a big mess and there's lots of things in mass that are a big mess Anyway, so it's interesting. Hell, Joe. Uh, I found I all like this cool that. stuff out. Yeah, so I'm, I, I think when you look at a topic in depth, when I do it, I'm fascinated by how interesting topics are. Yes. And it's a shame that teachers don't get time to do this kind of thing. Fantastic. Well, um, I went to, um, and this is interesting because it's, it's saying no, uh, no internet connection on my notes here. So this, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is interesting. It's almost as if I planned this because this is one of the perils of technology. Because yeah. right? the first session I went to was on Desmos mm -hmm. by Tom Benison and, and Edward Hall. Yeah. And I've seen Tom speak once, I think, but I've never seen Edward speak. Yeah. Um, and this will be terrible if I try to explain it here, even if I could get on, get on the internet. Because... Um, it was all visual stuff like about all doing stuff on Desmos for, yeah. for post 16 but it was interesting because nobody could get on the Wi-Fi no. nobody could log in things were disappearing left right and center and I think that's an important point right because you can't you can't always rely on technology yeah. Desmos Joe Gibraltar they're incredibly powerful things mm -hmm. but I've certainly been in lessons running running them myself and witnessed lessons where the technology fails yeah. and the teachers just got nothing yeah. no backup whatsoever yeah. and in fact I was at uh, the Festival of Education uh, last couple of days and there was one presenter 
who was in a room where they thought they were getting a projector but there wasn't because it was in the chapel oh. and they just said I can't, can't do, do this it. can't do can't it, do it so, so it's yeah. interesting right so I mean it's it's impossible I'm getting a bit off the topic here but it's impossible to always have like a second version of every lesson yeah. just in case something goes wrong but you should always have some kind of contingency plan yeah. like I should have here yeah. <laughs> when I can't talk about Desmond but anyway the bottom line is um, uh, he showed, Tom and Edward showed loads of things for A level that I didn't know you could do on Desmos. Oh, cool. Really so um, entering parametric equations, just little quir- oh, yeah, yeah. little yeah, quirks like of yeah. Desmos, how how to do it. Um, I always forget though I have to Google that every time absolutely because if you don't use these things all the time you just forget them straight away of course and I should say all these things I'm going to say Tom has sent me a link to his presentation that I'm going to put in the show notes so if you want to see how to do these then then just click on that I really liked and I've done this one before this was one of the few that I did know restricting the domain and restricting the range which is really really useful Um, he showed us um, shading regions between two functions okay. now that was hard that was a, a lot kind of counterintuitive but my mm. favorite one and i really liked this and again it's i guess you can do this on kind of calculators but it's really really nice so you can take any function so like um x cubed plus three or something like that bang it in desmos and then you can create a table of values for that function, which is quite nice. Right. So you type in y, y equals x3, uh, x to the power of 3, or however <laughs> I'm supposed to, the third power. Yeah, keep, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep it how you say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then click on this table button, and it will generate um, uh, a table of values. So you've got when x is 1, uh, f of x is, or y is 3, when x is 2, blah, blah, blah. But what you can also do is then you can put in any x value you want and it'll calculate the input for you from that same function, oh, right. even if it's not plotted. So right. that's so it treats it as a essentially like a function machine yeah. or a table of values. But then what's also nice is that you can do it the other way around. So you can create a table first, so you can have an x and right. then to the and then the other thing could be x squared. Right. You can then get kids to try and figure out what how to fill in the table. It starts plotting the points and then it'll create the function for you. So it's mm-hmm. really nice kind of graph plotter. Instead of just going straight in and plotting a line or a curve, you can build it up in this table function point by point, use it to check kids' answers and stuff. And yeah. it was just it was it was just really nice. Just ways to get around Desmos's quirks but also figure out stuff that I didn't know Desmos could so do. So could you use that for a statistical graph? Let's say I wanted to do a cumulative frequency graph. Could I put in the points I want it to plot and it will fill in the curve for me or is it not that clever? Is it only if it's a function? Hmm. Mm, I probably wouldn't, would it? You can definitely, yeah, you could definitely, yeah, I think it would need to, be, to be a, a function. function. Okay. Yeah, but if you, but if you nice. were filling in your table and you put a, I don't know, you put a number, Because you know? need to know, it needs to know the function first. I think okay. to be able to fill it out okay. but anyway there's links to that um, links to the presentation in the show notes but it just reminded me that, that Desmos is an incredibly powerful and simple to use tool because again you can download the app I've got my iPad here app on the iPad so it runs offline kids can get it on their phones I've been using Desmos geometry lately oh nice so it's like a GeoGebra type thing exactly. you know, and I've been using it I, it was because I must have been making some diagrams for something and I rarely make diagrams oh it was when I was making all my GCSE breakfast revision resources yeah, and I was a bit it. conscious that I shouldn't be stealing people's images off the internet yes. so I was trying to make my own images yeah, I don't yeah, normally yeah, do yeah. it and um, I'm because I'm not a GeoGebra person I mean I just haven't practiced with it since my PGCE I did it 
it all on Desmos Geometry and it's so it's easy nice, to use. Yeah. And you don't need to install anything, yeah. it just runs. And I like as well, again, just a simple thing, that if you create a free account, you can just save all your graphs, which yeah, is nice. nice. And you can, the share graph function is really powerful as well because you can just send a link to that graph to your kids mm. and they can mess around with it. But then the next time they click on the link, it'll just be back to the original graph, but they can save their own versions. If you've got a website or a blog, you can embed a yeah. dynamic uh, Desmos file. Just just a slick piece of uh, is, gear. Yeah, and if listeners want to know more about Desmos, uh, then Dan Mayer, who is uh, works for Desmos now, was a guest on this podcast a couple of years ago now, so check out that interview. Right, Joe. so uh, session two, is this the one we're in together? Yes. And you've kind of talked a little bit about this, yeah. but, but give us a bit more. Can I do the, uh, I want to do the roulette story. You can do the roulette. Fine, I fine, like fine, the roulette story. Well, it's excellent. So Philip, um, uh, Philip Legner, he, he's, so his website, mathagon.org, is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I blogged about it about four years ago, and I kind of keep an eye on it. I check it every now and then to see what he's added. Um, he used to work for Google. Um, really? Yeah, so I spoke to him at the end. He said that he's now no longer working for Google, and he's now working on his website. So we should see much more being added to it. He looks young. It annoys me that. <laughs> what age do you reckon he is? I just think he's a, a young-looking young person. adult. Frustrating, frustrating. <laughs> and then he's, um, but he was, um, he was such a nice presenter. Yeah, really, really nice, really calm lovely. style. Yeah, really yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, and also good. his slides were beautiful, like his website is beautiful. Mm. Um, and his website is kind of like an online maths textbook with lots of interactive stuff. It's free, right? Yeah, and it's so nice. It's just so worth exploring Mathagon. I, I've always loved Mathagon. I gave it one of my gem awards a couple of years ago, like because I absolutely love it. And he talked about, now I've always liked this idea of narrative and lessons and bringing in stories mm. where you can. Um, because if you think about, you can you can engage any student um, with by telling stories. Yeah. So if you take, say, a really weak, if you think about another subject, like history, if you take any student and you think, I'm going to make them understand something really complex that happened yes. in the war, you can tell a story about it. So telling stories is such a good way of um, helping everyone understand complex topics. Oh, yeah, topics. and there's lots of research. Dan Willingham talks about it. They're, this yeah. isn't the right phrase, but they're, they're very cognitively accessible. They're, yes. they're very memorable. Yeah. It's, it's a really nice way to, to structure a lesson, yes. to, to think of it in terms of a story. And indeed... Um, we've remembered this session because of the stories yeah. that were involved in it, oh, right? Oh, it was lovely. And the thing is, I, I do try and tell stories in my lessons, but I, I could do with more stories. Yes. I talk, I tell, the, I talk about Pythagoras. Yeah. Um, and, you know, things like that where they really, they love it, students, absolutely. And you loved uh, Chris Bolton's session at a previous yeah, maths conference, right? Maths, yeah, because yeah. I'm trying to learn more that I can tell my yep. students. So one, like he talked about, for example, um, he was talking about trigonometry and um, he talked about how they first found the height of Mount Everest. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. How they did that, and that was fascinating. And he talked about monopoly and what's um, using probability to work out the most likely uh, spaces to land on. Orange apparently is where you yes. should where, where you should try and yeah, buy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, you were going to talk about the roulette. This was cool. Oh, like this, this is good. Well, I'll tell you. What, I'll do roller coasters. Do you see that one as well? Roll- so oh, he yes, had, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool, yeah. Fun- graphs, uh, functions of roller coasters, yeah. and then it was the. The third derivative. Now, I've never used the third derivative no. in my life, so I can understand what the first derivative does. I see the point of the second derivative. Here's a fact for you. The third derivative is called the jerk. So... <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he said that. I might be wrong I here. was tweeting when he yeah, said that. I think he oh, said my that. God, the, the so, jerk. Yeah, so, yeah, so... <laughs> The, uh, you get you get your original kind of roller coaster graph, roller coaster uh, shape, and then if you differentiate it three times, you get the jerk function, really? and they use this to judge whether it's a bit too much on this on this roller coaster jerking from side to side. I see. It's good, hey. 
Yeah, I mean, good. I've just taken everything he said to be 100% true. You know, we're true, going to Alton Towers. We should check out Jer- the Jerk exactly, function. Exactly, Jerk function. <laughs> but yeah, my favourite was the roulette. So this uh, is flipping brilliant, this. Right. So correct me if I've got this wrong, Joe, because I'm going to remember this. Right. So uh, they there was a guy. What were he called? It was, was Carl, a bad start. It was Carl Pearson, and the only reason I know that is I believe, and I should know that I should know this really well. He was uh, UCL was the first stats department in the world, maybe. Yes. And I went to UCL and did stats, and and I used to go to lectures in the Pearson building. So there this was Carl go. Pearson. Carl Pearson. Yeah. So Carl Pearson wanted to figure out whether roulette wheels were fixed or whether the spins whether the spins were fair. So you'd expect if you were to spin a roulette wheel twice you'd expect that it to be equally likely that you get red, red, black, black, red, black, or black, red. Mm-hmm. That's what you'd expect. So we sent this team of researchers out to, to see whether this was true, and they were supposed to record the results of, of every kind of pairs of spins. But what they found was that red, black, and black, red were coming out far more common than red, red, black, mm-hmm. black. So then he sent them out to see what happened when you spun the roulette wheel three times. And again, you'd expect, I think there's eight possibilities mm-hmm. there, and you'd expect them to be the same. So red, red, red should be just as common as red, black, red. Mm-hmm. However, when the results came back from this, red, black, red, and black, red, black were far more popular, certainly than anything else, but definitely the extremes, red, 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 and black, black, black. So he thought statistically something weird's going on here. The only conclusion from this is that the roulette wheels are fixed. Mm-hmm. But when he dug into it more, it's beautiful this, isn't it? Yeah, I love this. What he found was that the people he'd sent out to collect this data weren't bothering watching the roulette wheel. They were in the bar having a few drinks. And crucially, they were just making up the data. But why then didn't it come out that they were all equally likely? Well, this taps into the human's inability to create random sequences mm. because they were just assuming that, oh, red, black, red, just that's going to be more common than red, red, red. Yeah. So they were actually generating non-random sequences mm. So that whenever Pearson looked at the data, he could essentially see that there'd been a problem. It had been faked. And I just thought, that was a lovely story. Have I explained that well? Yeah, you have. And it's fascinating because it, like, he, so he assumed that roulette, that it was, it was, there was something going on where it's not equally likely to land on each space. Yeah. And it turns out that the data was wrong. The and, data and it was just, wrong. And it was humans, humans. That, were, that were making it look... And it's fascinating. It's lovely he realised. And if the humans, if they could have done a random sequence, they could have just got away with this lifestyle of having <laughs> a drink and making it up. That's brilliant. And then he shared... Um, he shared some um, resources yes, at the end, he? Yes, he did, yeah. So he's, uh, and I tweeted a picture of that, and there was some lovely websites like, oh, the, um, the Plus magazine, um, and there was... I didn't like, know Imaginary Open Mathematics. No, that was, he I said that was that a one. German website. I have, I'll have to have a look at that. Yeah, so that's Imaginary Open Mathematics. Yeah. Don't know that one. And then there was things like Parallel by Simon Singh, which we heard about later, Number File, the IMA. And then he asked us to have a think about um, some stories or some ways into topics that were sort of had a narrative or some application. Mm. Um, and I, I mentioned these football box plots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I will, I will sort of put these on my blog because I saw them on Twitter recently. But basically, I, I have for years... I wrote a blog post about box plot. That's so hard to say. A blog post about box plots. You've got it. You've nailed it. Years ago, and I included these World Cup box plots, which basically showed um, the age of players on every team on the box plot, and they're all lined up next to each other for every single team. So there's a whole load of box plots and one graphic. Yep. And I always show it when I introduce box plots um, at sick form and lower down yep. the school. And I say, look how powerful these box plots are, and look what they show. It's because they've got outliers. You can see mm. where there's a team with a really old player, mm. and you can see the teams with the 
the median, like the average, uh, where, they, where they're young on average. And it's just so interesting to have a look at this. Everyone finds this data interesting. Um, and then I've recently seen another one tweeted for this World Cup, and it was to do with the height of the players. But, you know, and it's not just that I teach at a boys' school and the football thing appeals. Yeah. I think, gen- every, I'm, I'm not into football, and I found these interesting. I mean, the, the, each of the points means something, right? Yeah. Like it's, a, it's a player, you yeah, can dig into exactly. it. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, you know, let's think, what is this box, box plot telling us? And we kind of know a lot about the players just through this graphic. Yeah. So it's a lovely way into box plots. And that's just, that was one of my examples of kind of um, an application actually being a, a really nice, engaging thing to show students. And, and nice. so that was, and then we had some lovely discussions about other ideas. And I'll just chuck in a final twist. And I shared this uh, with Bruno Reddy, who was there, and, and yourself. And that is, when do we use this story? At what point of the, the process? So I think you've two choices. You either use a story at the beginning of a topic as a hook, or you use it at the end of a topic as an application of what you've been taught. And those of you who listened to my takeaways from Research Head Rugby uh, with Gemma Sherwood, and Joe isn't happy there because Gemma went down well. She did, she's co- trying to steal my position here. She's also got a very similar Twitter handle to me. <laughs> she's great. Sorry, Gemma, you're, you're brilliant. <laughs> and in that, I, I shared my takeaways from John Brunskill's talk, who's a primary school teacher, and he made the point that he used to do school trips with his kids as a hook at the start of a topic so they would go and see Queen Elizabeth's grave as a way of um, making kids interested in monarchs and then they would teach them about monarchs but the point is that kids would go on these school trips and they want, it would be meaningless to them this grave because it's somebody they don't know anything mm-hmm. about whatsoever whereas when you flip it on its head mm-hmm. teach them the knowledge first and then take them on the school trip mm-hmm. like you were saying that kids were getting goosebumps looking at this grave because this was the actual place where the person that they've been studying for the last two or three weeks are buried and it just makes me think perhaps the power of the story okay it can be a hook but perhaps it's even more powerful when you've got the knowledge to appreciate it so if you've learnt about probability and distributions and sample space diagrams Mm -hmm. then I think that roulette story is much more powerful than if you haven't been taught about probability so I think stories more at the end or tease them with the hook of it yeah. and then say well we're going to explain this why yeah. this is the case at the end something like that yeah. so I think careful use of stories yes, was, absolutely. was important yeah. alright so that was the first two sessions is it the plea, the kind of plea yeah, thing now so this that, was yeah. Simon Singh now a little teaser for people Simon um, is coming on the podcast uh, one of the most famous kind of most popular maths and science writers he'll be on the podcast next year to talk about his many books um, and the the, the um, projects that you spoke about today so just just to whet the uh, listeners appetite what, what was he chatting about here joe what did you take um, away from his well, i mean he talked about he talked about fermat's last theorem he's got a book about that which which i love it's one of my favorite stories in maths and, and I, he showed some clips from the documentary which i've seen twice great, he showed eh? quite a chunk of it today and i could watch that for the whole it's hour great, like, i absolutely eh? love it and he was that's available for free on the ipad yeah, right? it what is. Was it? is it just called fermat's last theorem it's like i think i thought it was a horizon it was like yeah, yeah horizon like that. that's exactly so right. i've i've shown it to a class of sixth form before it's it was wonderful. further maths class and I sh- and, and it's just brilliant and the, the maths is incredibly complicated in it but it the bit that's lovely is that Andrew Wiles is just it's just wonderful seeing how happy he is he loves it, and, right? and the frustrations and the, and the sort of all the emotions so emotional you're oh, right I absolutely love that and it's so. like it's the power of a story again right yeah, because yeah. again it's like that theory on its own the theorem sorry it's essentially it's about a tenth as powerful without the story yeah. that went behind it yeah. it's a fascinating you need story. to get Andrew Wiles on your podcast <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I think I've turned him down actually, but yeah, maybe, maybe I'll get him on there. Maybe I'll get him. Um, but then, so that, and he also talked about um, the Simpsons, yes. um, and that is, I, I, it's one of you my favourite. I you? do, and the thing is that um, 
Oh, my husband still, at age 38, watches Simpsons every day. Like, this is ridiculous. I have, I know a lot about The Simpsons. Um, but that is one of, I, and I, I run enrichment sessions um, about that book at my school, so I absolutely love it. Um, and then there was, I don't know, I wrote, the only note I wrote down in the whole of Simpsons session was spherical bastard. Yeah. The way he said it was an insult. I can't remember, it was someone had used this as an insult, and it was um, a, a, a bastard from every direction. That's right. <laughs> However That's... you look at them, they're always a bastard. That's right. What a great insult. That is. I I don't even know who I've written that down so randomly I don't know who said it and, yeah. but it was funny if you've got young children listening apologies oh, there for sorry. Your yeah, that's the mother it. Joe Morgan for you uh, right so that was Simon Singh um, and then and as I say he'll be back on the podcast can't wait for that uh, then I think it was probably lunch then and then what um, what did you see session four I saw um, Joe Locke who is a lead practitioner um, in Peterborough I believe and she um, was doing a session on supporting non-specialist departments so she was talking about a job that she's done this year and she's continuing with next year where she has a department with kind of lots of PE teachers and um, basically non-maths people teaching maths Um, lots of people that uh, teachers that had no confidence teaching maths and the school went from outstanding to RI and the big criticism was of the maths and and it's like very low take up at A level even though they shouldn't have had that sort of low take up and basically students that that just weren't enjoying maths so she came in and has kind of done an amazing job of, of turning that department around and she talked about uh, she talked about some resources, and she showed us lots of great resources. That, and I loved all those resources she showed. Um, Any that spring to mind? Oh, it's all it's all the kind of classics. Go on. So she talked about she did talk about SSDD. Go that that's all I see. That's SSDDproblems.com, Everybody. <laughs> she talked about MathPad. She talked about Dave Taylor's increasingly difficult questions, yes. um, which she said were particularly useful for them to show her non-specialists in the department those activities so they can see how a topic progresses yes so to, to show um someone who's who's a bit unsure about teaching a topic this is how hard it can get i'll tell you what joe i'm glad you said that so we're rewriting our seven and eight scheme of work at the moment and we're using the increasingly difficult questions for exactly that because if you take something like fractions of an amount question one is like a half of 18 or whatever by the time you get to question four you've got like three-fifths of 75 or something and that's essentially where a lot of teaching finishes but then you've you've got another nine or ten questions that bring in algebra negative numbers decimals they're great to show you the full range of where a topic can go planning lessons absolutely absolutely she talked about minimally different uh questions and she talked about uh standards unit access math john stewart susan wall like all the classics it was great i love looking at resources you like susan wall as well that's a classic kind of blast from the past yeah but she showed in fact the resource that joe had printed out and put on the tables is i'm using it on tuesday in my uh year 12 induction lesson and it's a really lovely quadratic resource it's fantastic um but the main thing that she'd done with department was that uh, department meetings so it used to be that they had department meetings where it was all admin people would bring their marking just sit and do their marking during the meeting people would bicker and like all these sort of very negative meetings and she's like totally changed them so they're all teaching and learning and she basically teaches a lesson so she's and she structures it like a lesson so she's like she's she's there to every department meeting is joe teaching the department of how to teach a topic and and she basically um she'll do a starter activity where they'll have a go at some questions she'll do some like talk about misconceptions she'll get them all discussing uh, prerequisites um, where students go wrong in exams she'll, she'll print out some resources to show them and it's it's lovely that she does these sessions with her department and as a result 
the department has really pulled together and everything yes. is a lot more positive. Um, the, the team are much more um, open to kind of asking her for advice. Um, and it just it just sounds like she's really kind of she's trying to create a culture where they want to be the best department in the school. Whereas at the moment the school is kind of everyone in the school is kind of criticising them yeah, for, for the course. bad offset. But she's saying she's trying to make this department. She's trying to create this culture of excellence in the department. And you know things like this is really nice. If a resource. If a resource doesn't come with answers, or if a resource comes with answers, there's a wrong answer in there, which we often see. Mm. So you know when you put the answer up on the board and a student puts up their hand yeah, and say, oh, yeah, that yeah. one's wrong, and then you yep. look at it. And, you, and now if you're like me and you, and you're sort of experienced and you're confident, you're good at maths and you're sort of a specialist, then you'll say, oh, you're right, that is wrong. Yep. Um, and you might work it out on the board and say, yes. you're absolutely right, I'm sorry there's a mistake yes. in the answers. But a, uh, a, a non-specialist yeah. will straight away be in a panic and of they'll course. think... I don't know if that's wrong. Yes. I'm, I, and, and it's a horrible situation to be in. So what Joe says that she does is that if a resource doesn't come with answers, then she will work them out for that non-specialist. And then the non-specialist can say in the lesson, um, oh, if, that's, if that answer's wrong, she can, they can blame yeah. um, her rather than taking the blame and think, making that's, the students think that they can't do the questions. Yeah, these little things important. she said. And, and so there was all these lovely little um, hints at how to how to up the confidence of a team that kind of is is anxious about their maths um, and it was um, it was a really lovely session so I'm glad I went to that that sounds absolutely brilliant and again a theme for these podcasts over the last few episodes has been making the most of departmental meetings I think oh, it's yeah. so important yeah. and I spoke to Tom Sherrington about this and I've spoke to quite a few people and if you're looking for a special discussion on this um, Oliver Lovell when I interviewed him teacher from Australia he has thought so much about his departmental meetings and they all start with saying something they're grateful for and everything it's like a real positive uh, wow. culture so it's great um, so that sounds brilliant that Joe um, the session I went to for that session four was making statistics even more interesting by Richard Tock now one I went to this session for two reasons one because I love stats and two because Mark McCourt hates stats so I thought this will annoy him <laughs> if I'm speaking about it on the podcast but it was all kicking off in the build-up to this session so first off we should say Richard Top very smartly dressed right he was in, yes. well, like a, he wore he said he wore it to his wedding really yeah, he was Whoa. in his bow tie and and he had lovely stripy socks on like he I showed didn't me his notice socks. the yeah, socks yeah. so he um yeah he was very smart and um he did actually say to me at the end I, I should mention on the podcast how impressed we were by his outfit he and was of very smart on, I did a bingo for this mass conference and forgot to print it out but on my bingo there was delegate in a bow tie so that box he was won, he would have won that one but I mean that's the good news the bad news is imagine this I'm on the way to the session and he says to me Craig are you coming to my session and I went yeah and he goes oh shit I get that second swear <laughs> oh, word you're not of allowed this. To have more than one, are you? <laughs> um, and I said why what's going on he goes because I'm going to talk a bit about your book and I'm like oh here oh, we go yes, here we go I was like this. oh yes. here we go again more praise blah 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 <laughs> and I said oh you're not going to slag it off are you and he went yeah I am I was like oh Jesus <laughs> so he puts a flipping slide up from my book where I'm saying about um, I think context in maths is potentially problematic and does more trouble than it's good and more harm than good and essentially says that's a load of nonsense and I'm sat there so <laughs> he, told, he told me about this later so I wasn't happy yeah, I, wasn't, I, kept I kept quiet you I kept were, yeah. quiet I rose above it <laughs> but anyway his point was that and what about this for a quote are you a fan of stats before we dive into yeah, this I did a stats degree yeah 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 you're a bit like me but you hate mechanics I don't right? really like I don't hate mechanics I've never studied it I might love it if I studied no, it you are, um, I don't actually particularly like teaching stats but I am a stats fine, expert fine. But, you know, I don't like teaching all the graph nonsense I like, and I, I like a nice bit of binomial theorem and all that fine yeah. All right, well, let, let, let me see what you make of this quote. Stats without context isn't stats, it's number work. 
So he says, okay, and this, this means, yeah. invokes Jeff Wake, on, who people will be familiar with, with his Twitter work, yes. where one thing Jeff likes to do, and I don't know whether he's got this kind of pre-written as a tweet and he just keeps copying and pasting it out, but anytime somebody does anything about stats that isn't contextual, he's on the case. Yes, and he's he straight will, away. he'll jump on that. So, yeah. um, uh, and so he's no time for finding the median of five numbers unless you know exactly what where those five so, numbers are. So is it okay from. to say to just put centimeters after them? Is that contextualized enough? It's like, Possibly. So if you, so you, rather than give them five numbers and say find the median, we have to say, I measured five plants and these were the measurements. Find the median. In exactly I mean, that voice, I think you've got to. I think <laughs> sorry, you've got to do a lot. Like I'm just not sure. I know, yeah. and it was one of those things where, and I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll come straight out with it. I disagree with it. I think it's an important. I think you need to remove the context until you get the skills kind of fluent and then bring mm. bring the context back in. But it was an interesting take. But what I did definitely agree with was that there are very interesting ways to 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 bring in some key statistical concepts so he puts up gapminder and i immediately think oh god here we go i've seen this millions of times so the website gapminder.org and hans rosling who sadly passed away last year i think it was now i used to joe i used to flip in love gapminder Mm. and i i reckon i was one of the first to be onto it in the kind of teaching community or try to make it popular and anywhere i would go if i visited a school i'd say have you heard of gapminder people like oh no i put it on and like jaws were on the floor Mm. because it's a wonderful wonderful resource so i'm but I, probably been about three years since I've since I've. Kind I don't of used know it. if I, I. I know every website in the world. I don't know if I know this. Joe, if <laughs> you've not used Gapminder, this is going to blow your mind. So essentially, it is a um, a load of kind of databases, data sets. Right. And you can. I thought that all you could do with them is plot them as scatter diagrams. So the classic one, and it's if you uh, want to watch a video on this, the Joy of Stats is a, a documentary by Hans Rosling where he shows the power of statistics. So picture a scatter diagram and picture um, it is income per person and oh this is bad oh what is on the other flipping axes life expectancy life expectancy okay. all right so yeah. life expectancy on the y income per person okay. on the x right and you have every country on the world represented on there but the interesting thing is you can do it at any point in time so you can essentially drag the world back to 1888 mm-hmm. show them what the world looked like where all the dots were and then play it through time so you go through like a hundred years in a couple of minutes pause it and you see that when like the industrial revolution comes in what impact that has on life expectancy oh, right. the world wars what impact they oh, have and you can zoom in on you can highlight any individual country you can have the whole of Europe it's, be- it's beautiful mm. it's beautiful um, and I was aware of all that but what I wasn't aware is how it's progressed since Gapminder. So a couple of things you can do now. Firstly, you can download it. Right. So you can use it, which is pertinent to our discussion before. If technology lets you down, okay. you don't have to just rely on the internet. Um What's nice is it's great for historical context. And and what I was talking about this at Festival of Education. What about this for a phrase, Joe? Proper interdisciplinary knowledge. Oh. I'll say that again. Proper interdisciplinary knowledge. So not your dodgy cross-curricular stuff yeah. where you try yeah. to like shoehorn maths into anything. Mm-hmm. This is, all right, what is the historical and geographical context behind why this data looks why it does? Okay. Why is China um, so far behind us but then increasing and catching right. us up and all this? So it's fascinating for that. But the range of data available now is ridiculous. So you've got mortality rates, mm-hmm. birth rates, um, 
teeth quality, uh, maths ability, and you can put, right. put relationships against each other. And the point that uh, Richard was making in this is that it's great to show correlations that actually mean something mm-hmm. to kids instead of your usual oh. height and flipping shoe yeah, size like and, all, and all this kind of stuff. It's great to show non-correlations, and this feeds right. back into your non-examples, yeah. because how often do we show kids things that just actually have no, no uh, relationship whatsoever? So yeah. we used a really good one, murders versus income level. Right. There's no correlation whatsoever. But you may think, well, you could kind of make an argument, the richer the country, maybe the more access to, the, there's more incentive to rob people, but yeah. maybe the poorer the country. And you can make an argument, but you look at it and there's essentially no relationship whatsoever. So I really like that. And um, going back to your point with box plots, if you have an outlier, yeah. it means something. Yeah. It's a country. Mm. So there was some crazy outliers. And then you can say, well, why? And then ask your history teacher ask your geography yeah. teacher why does so I thought yeah. it was absolutely lovely for that um, we, but then so he, he talks about Gapminder for, for ages so if you haven't used Gapminder get it googled get on it there's loads of supporting teacher resources and videos uh, we then looked at making averages more interesting and showing uh, showing students examples where it doesn't t- uh, you've just got one piece of data that distorts the average and it's it's meaningless um, and then we talked about oh yeah then I didn't realise this so back to Gapminder hmm. I thought it was just scatter diagrams next thing it's doing flipping time series data right, right? so he plotted this was brilliant um, income per person over over time, right. UK versus China, okay. and he almost did it as a race. So the UK is absolutely flying yeah. up until for like hundred years, up until the last fifteen years, and then China is just shooting oh, up, really? trying to catch us. And he talked about like making it exciting, like a race, and then saying to the kids, "What do you think is going to happen in the next ten years? How would you know?" And it just it just makes stats actually mean something. I love it that. Was... You know, you've reminded me of when I was at, doing my PGCE. I was told about this. Oh, I, I use this example. Every Every time I teach um, extrapolation, and it's like speed of um, the the record for the hundred meters over yes. time. So men's yes. hundred meters, and, and and you can see that this it's it gets they get quicker at, yes. at it. So the time goes down over time, um, and they get quicker because of well, it's, it ask the students why right. do people get yeah, quicker yeah, running yeah. over time? Changes in technology, better shoes, better training, yeah. better diets, yeah. and then you say. Is this going to continue? Because it makes no sense for yeah, that change to continue because yeah, yeah. you can't ever run it in zero time. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I love that. And, and actually, yeah, so conversations like that where the students are really thinking about why exactly. the graph does that is so it interesting. it means something yeah. to me. It was really powerful. And then the other thing, so time series, I was like, flipping egg, Gapminder, when did you release that? <laughs> the other thing they're doing, they're only doing the flipping normal distribution oh, now. Really? So he plotted um, income distribution in China over time and you could see it was positively skewed and then how it changes as the population grows and and shifts the skewness shifts it was just honestly it was absolutely fascinating and then just a a couple of other websites that that um one i'd never heard of before 538.com never heard of it no 538.com and that's for uh, predicting electoral results so it sounds a bit dull but they've got loads of visualizations of data journalism okay. and it's good for confidence intervals right. and um, it pr- they predicted the Trump victory and oh. all this kind of stuff um, and then he made the point that um, there's some good large data sets even if you're not ta- t- teaching A level yeah. or if you're teaching one exam board um, he, rec- he said that MEI's uh, large data set is the best out of all the other awarding bodies I don't know what that's on I want to say, no, Edexcel's is weather. Yes, I know all about weather now. I can't, it was summer. One of them was about travelling to school. It definitely wasn't that. It a- was AQA are changing theirs. 
Oh. Yeah, I spoke to Andrew Taylor and he said that they're, they're, it's something to do with car registrations, but I think yeah. they've abandoned their original idea. World exclusive, mm. though. I like oh, that. I might have, oh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I, I said something like that. I'm sure it wasn't a secret. <laughs> and then the other one was, um, and I've seen this website before, um, Tyler Vigan. Oh, yes, like the, yeah. the Spurious Correlations. correlations. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So if you haven't seen yeah. that, that's, that's wonderful. I like that. That's wonderful. Um, which brings us to are we up to date for the final session. Yeah. So this is this this was me. So this yep. this will be a little bit embarrassing when Joe says it was crap. But this was <laughs> I, I can't take all the critique from this because I, I shared this session with um, two two teachers actually, <laughs> Jess Pryor and Ben Gordon. And I should say, I've never done this before. Um, I met my co-presenter the night before for the first time, <laughs> Jess Pryor, and I've been communicating with Jess um, over email. Um, Jess is, uh, who's she on Twitter? 49, 49 Cubed. 49 Cubed. And she's the creator of the Minimally Different... Dot WordPress. Prop, dot, yeah, dot WordPress. Yeah. Uh, which you featured in her Maths Gems. Um, and yeah. I just assumed that she was really experienced teacher because she writes <laughs> yeah, great questions. She's in a bloody second year of teaching <laughs> or something. I was f- absolutely fuming. In, in the pub last night, she, my mate Mariana, she said, oh, Miss Don Bosco, you used to teach me A-level. And Mariana was mortified because oh, she, she feels like she's too God. young to have taught someone who's a maths teacher. But yeah, that was really surprising. Yeah. I'm feeling old these days, Joe. That was a that was a low <laughs> point for me when I found out she's about 14 or something. I was absolutely human. So um, I co-presented with Jess and uh, also Ben Gordon, who is Mr. Maths um, Gordon, I think, Mass, on Maths, Mr. Mr. Gordon, Mr. Gordon I think. Um, on Twitter. So it was kind of a bit of a secret project. Um, I'd spoke about, uh, written about in the book, minimally different examples and, and using variation theory. And just like SSDD problems and maths vents, I wanted to create a blog or a website where I I'll kind of write the first initial mass of these um, and then with Jess and Ben's help we'll get it up to a point and then we'll open it up to the public and say if you want to keep this website and this blog going you write some there's templates on there um, send them in to me and um, I'll cu- uh, curate them and, and so on so this website was about uh, sorry this uh, session was about launching that um, yeah. and I did a little introduction at the start and then there was four different types of activities and uh, yeah, Jess did the first one, which was um, examples, where yep. you start with an example problem pair and then you have a sequence of intelligently varied questions. Uh, then Ben came up and this links back to what we talked about before, Joe, Ben did uh, rules. So he did, um, suggested solving linear equations, beautiful sequence of questions, yeah, really, well, yeah. really well thought, and I'll shut up in a sec, Joe, and you can say your <laughs> thoughts. Uh, so, yeah, in fact, this probably makes more sense. Suggested, yeah, suggested a sequence of questions on solving linear equations. Well, what did you make of those? Yeah, really interesting. Um, it was uh, the, the sort of something that jumped out. Well, first of all, there was a, the order. I mean, this was like the first two questions. Yeah. But 3 plus x, e- I can't remember what it was, but 3 plus x equals 8 compared That's to exactly. x plus 3 equals 8 or yes. something like that. And it's like, yeah, because when they see the 3 plus x, they, that confuses them. Exactly. And it's crazy it confuses them. But it's such an interesting an interesting thing and then she talked about having things equal to zero she said that you have something like a question like seven plus x equals zero and normally they don't see anything equal to zero till they do quadratics exactly. and i was like yeah why have i why do i never do linear equations in the early stages equal to zero and it and makes you realize these things that it you does miss. and when you look at that sequence of questions as experts like we are we can see the answers and think well exactly what you said there joe we know that five plus x equals eight is the same as x plus five equals eight and she also had eight equals x plus five oh, yeah, I think. Yeah. and those three they're obviously equivalent but 
kids get we've seen kids get muddled up yeah. with that right it doesn't take much to muddle up kids but she's hitting them straight on with yeah. this and confronting them I, I mean I'm biased but I thought it was a beautiful sequence yeah. of sequence of questions so, so Jess just talked about that and she shared her experience with doing it in the class and she also said that she doesn't want to do this all the time it's just yes. part of part of a, what I described of a diet of, of a kid's mathematical experiences she's not giving these varied sequences all the time she's doing increasingly difficult doing problems and, and Venn like diagrams yeah. and all that which I thought was a really important point yeah. and she also made the point that um, so my whole philosophy behind this or my kind of catchphrase is reflect, expect, check reflect on what's changed form an expectation of the answer and then check and she said that doesn't come naturally to her kids kids right. were either just writing down the answers or not forming an mm -hmm. expectation or not checking and she had to model it explicitly yeah. and explain why they should be doing this so yeah i just thought and she spoke well right for a first for a first ever maths conference and yeah, the fact that she's brilliant. 14 or whatever she is, so was, uh, maybe 15, <laughs> absolutely fuming. She, she's brilliant. She's, I'm very impressed by her. And her work is fantastic. And she's clearly going to be like, she's a very deep thinker. Yeah, and she's going to gonna, watch, she's gonna she? come out with some great stuff. Yeah, yeah. she is. So um, she did that bit. And then my next, so that was one type of variation yeah. um, example. The next type was rule. Mm -hmm. And as uh, Joe spoke about before, it's not enough just to tell kids a rule. They've mm -hmm. got to see when it works and when it doesn't work. So this was Ben Gordon. And he did, which I thought was an interesting choice, mode from a frequency table. Yeah. And that would be something I'd just say to kids, like the mode is the one with the highest yeah. frequency. Yeah. But he had about 20 questions on it, didn't uh, he? It was really clever. I, I was really interested because like the first one, it was like, um, so he had a table where, and he had red, so the, 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 a colour and then a frequency. Yeah. Red, seven, blue, seven, green, eight, pink, ten. Yes. And then it said, true or false, the mode is seven. Yeah. Now you look at that and you see two sevens. Well, that's the most common number. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, pink is the mode because there's ten of them. Frequency, yeah. Um, and it's just things like that where it's like, yeah, I don't teach that no. in enough depth and no. I don't go through enough examples. No. And, and, and I think um, it was fascinating. And then he, he sort of talked about, and he had these boundary examples where, say, the frequency was 10 for all of them, so there's no mode. Yes. But it was a really, it was really interesting. And, and it's just, things like this just make me think that, yeah, I just skip over things yeah, that I really absolutely. need to be explicit about. It goes back to your in the season depth, yeah. right? In the, in the olden days, we'd have just, we taught all three rules in one go. But yeah. when, when you see these kind of things, and especially when you start thinking about non-examples, yeah. that's when... And it becomes yeah. really powerful. So yeah, I thought that was I thought that was lovely. And the fact that Ben would essentially present this in silence, give kids time to think whether it's true or false, then just write the answer down, no discussion. Then the next one, true or false, give them time to think, put the answer down, no discussion. And when he's got a, maybe four or five of these, then throw it out to the kids. Yeah. Why was this true? Why was this false? I just yeah. you can imagine being in that lesson, yeah. which would just be really powerful. So I love that. So it's, that it's great that he said that he's really sort of developing it. You know, he's been doing this for about six months, and he's really still getting there. Exactly. You know, he's he's having to reflect on it all the time and ch and change, and he has to ask advice from lots of people because this is quite hard to do. Oh, it is. Yeah. I wonder would Jeff Wake be liking it because it's in context. Well, I was just thinking. I was thinking that because we're saying I'm saying there were ten pink, but I'm not really saying what that is. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. And 
and then um, the session went downhill because I was back on then for the for the next two types. <laughs> so we've got example, which is your example problem pair followed by a sequence of questions. Then we've got rule, where we uh, get kids to almost figure out the rule themselves through careful selection of examples and non-examples. And then the next kind of category I've come up with is pattern. Mm -hmm. And this is where um, I, I, I showed addition of negative numbers, whereas in the past I'd use an analogy or a metaphor or something like that, uh, whether it's uh, fire cubes and chill, uh, bloody ice cubes or trains going into a tunnel. Have you seen that one? There's, there's, there's all kinds yes, of... Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of mental yeah. ones. Um, and I've been there and done that with all of those. But now I'd rather show them a pattern. So start with like 5 plus 3, then 5 plus 2, 5 plus 1, 5 plus 0, 5 plus minus 1, 5 plus mm -hmm. minus 2. Yeah. But then break the pattern. So yes. Because otherwise it just becomes a... a just yeah, a just fill it Fill, in. fill in yeah. the numbers. So break the pattern. So when you get to 5 plus, I don't know, minus 7, then there's a jump. What's 5 plus minus 12? What's 5 plus minus 63 to get them thinking? Mm -hmm. And then crucially, ask them questions in isolation away from yes. the pattern. Yeah. So, I don't know, minus 3 plus minus 7. Can they apply that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, pattern, I think. Um, so you is, call this the important. gap of understanding. Yeah, and that's bad. Yeah. I know. So where, there, so where there's that big jump from the pattern onto one that's a long way away and they have to actually think about yeah. it, that's the gap of understanding. It's bad, isn't it? But I can't, I, think think right. it, I can't think of anything better. <laughs> Again, if we say it a lot, it may stick. Crossing the gap of understanding. It almost works. And then the final type was demonstration. And this yeah. is where we utilise technology, whether it's Desmos, JoeGebra, mm -hmm. Um, or autograph or mm -hmm. anything like that to demonstrate a concept and, and the example I showed here and I don't know whether this is just me but I would if I was I did uh, angles on a straight line yeah and I would set up a dynamic angles on a straight line mm -hmm. where I'm measuring angles either side um, and I would kind of swivel the line around yeah. so one angle got bigger and one angle got smaller so kids could see the relationship and then maybe I'd hide one of the angles and make one of the other angles 120 degrees and say what's the missing angle and so on but my point there is that kids have nothing to compare it to mm -hmm. because as soon as you move it, it's gone. The yeah. original image is gone. So the little tweak I've made there is keep the dynamic dynamism, but always have one that's static, have something to compare yeah. it to. So two diagrams instead of one diagram so that one always remains on the screen that yeah. kids can refer back yeah. to. Did that make sense? It did make sense. I really liked that. And I and then you sort of mentioned another example where you're showing them white because I'm X plus C. You're moving the line around, showing the different gradients, but it's actually helpful to if they can see the original one that, exactly. so that they don't Yeah, it's just it makes a lot of sense and it's such a it's the sort of thing where it's like, why why have I not done that before? Yeah. It's so kind of um, it's just so clearly helpful to have one static and one that's moving on the app. I don't know why I never thought of that yeah, before. No, me, yeah, no, me, yeah, it's, it's taken me a long while. And just the, just the principle of keeping as much the same as possible yeah. so kids can refer to it, changing one thing yeah. and seeing the difference. So yeah, that was that was the session. Um, I then addressed some kind of frequently answered questions um, yeah. that people have about yeah. variation. Things like, should I be using this all the time? Mm -hmm. Is it death by worksheet? What happens if my kids can't form these expectations? Yeah. And all the kind of main ones. And I've answered all these on the website that I've okay. launched and this was the, the big this was the kind of big launch I, I kind of think I'm like Steve Jobs launching a new iPhone <laughs> or something like that in my head that's exactly what exactly what it's like um, so I launched um, variationtheory.com that mm. me Jess and Ben have kind of been working on over the last couple of months it's got Fantastic. 200 of these activities right. uh, broken down into categories tagged with different subjects and I'm hoping we get the same response as SSDD problems mm. which has had like over 300,000 uh, visitors now so I'm hoping people get in there use them and then do one of two things 
either create their own from scratch. Yep. So if they see that there is a topic that isn't covered, there's templates to download okay. and you can uh, you can send it in to me and then I'll put it up and give you full credit. Or take an existing one and adapt it to suit the needs of your class. And then on each activity, if I can get kind of three or four different variations of it, this is a simpler one, this is an easier one, blah, 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 uh, a more challenging one, then the website will grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah, I was happy with that, but I've announced my retirement now. <laughs> haven't I? That's it. You're not going to do any more. No you, more conferences. You've got conference fatigue this week because you've been out all week at Education Fest. Yeah. Then you were today, and then we've got another one on Monday. So yeah, it's too much. It's a lot. For I'm you. done. Yeah. So I've, I've thrown in the towel, and I'm, I'm sure annoyed. you'll be back soon. I don't know because I'm annoyed at these youngsters. I'm annoyed. <laughs> I'm feeling old and tired, so I'm annoyed. and I should say um, I gave thanks in the in the session, but to Bruno Reddy who kind of put me on the path yes, for this. Yeah, yeah. And he about it years ago, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. And it's strange about Bruno that he was. He did the kind of early maths conferences, yeah. shared these ideas, yeah. and then it's kind of taken people a good few years to cotton on to yeah. them, then do them. And Bruno's just been kind of, must have been sat there kind of, yeah. don't know, think, is he thinking, I told you so, yeah, but he's yeah, such yeah. a nice person, yeah, he and he was in the audience nice there. Was there yeah. And it was, yeah, I felt very proud to be able to kind of show, essentially, what he taught me, but three years too late <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from, yeah. from when he showed Finally, it. we listened exactly, to Bruno. Exactly, finally yeah. got it. But yeah, so that brings us to an end of another MathsConf. Um, as ever, we need to thank Mark McCourt for yes. organising these. Uh, we say it every time, Joe, but it's, it's a wonderful event. Since I MathsConf. had a lovely day today. I really, you're saying really your favourite. It might be you? my favourite. Well, I think well, my session went well, so I'm feeling positive about that. You know, I'm always so nervous, and it was a nice venue, and uh, just loads of lovely people. I, I got the train up with Mariana yesterday, and we did we did the the coolest math on the train the whole way. Like we were proving things and stuff. It was just awesome. So okay. I've had, I've had a lovely weekend um, and then um, it was really nice. And I, one, one thing I'd say is that last time we kind of, on Twitter, um, someone made a comment about how people come to conferences and just um, just kind of were looking for quick takeaways yeah. and we want quick fixes. And it's like, no, because we're not stupid. You know, yeah. we will, we, um, of course we'll all go and reflect and think and yes. try things because, you know, we're intelligent people. So I think, uh, I think we're, we're, when, when, these aren't, these aren't about quick fixes. And, no. And we'd all go and think about this stuff No, now. exactly. Yeah. Think about it. And, but at the same time, it's nice to have something that you can just try. Absolutely. So, like, yeah. if you think, oh, Gapminder, I'll have a look at that. Oh, you yeah. can try it tomorrow, you know, in yeah. tomorrow's lesson if you yeah. wanted. But you and then you see how it goes. Exactly. But you're right, Joe. What we're trying to do here is for the people who can't make these conferences... Because there's, you know, we're, we're lucky that we can go, we, we go to them and, and, and you know... Uh, travel around to these things yeah. but for the thousands of people who can't we're just yeah. trying to share our reflections and Absolutely. hopefully most people find it useful even if some people perhaps don't find perhaps it so, but I think most people do exactly, <laughs> exactly. and Joe We'll be back again, won't we? Because you're you're <laughs> Two days. exactly so you're then going to your friend's house in, in I'm going to Sheffield, Sheffield tonight, yep. And then we're reconvening <laughs> one year on in Alton Towers. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't do a, we weren't doing conference takeaways back then, were no. we? So this we will be at the Just Maths conference where both me and Joe are speaking this year. Um, and we will then be doing a conference takeaway, possibly on a roller coaster. Possibly. Possibly <laughs> working out the jerk function of that <laughs> of that roller coaster that we're recording from. But um hope you find these conference takeaways useful thanks so much for listening and all your kind comments um, on twitter uh, check out variationtheory.com uh, check out all the things that we've we've listed in this uh, joe's blog post about her session and supporting resources will be up soon so check out those as well and thank you so much joe morgan for joining me thank you craig and thank you very much for listening take care and bye for now